2: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Longshot Podcast. I am Duncan Robinson and I am here with my good friend and co-host Davis Patrick Reed. Davis, how are we doing?
1: Great. Especially after this conversation we just had with Russ, I feel like I'm in a mentally better place than I was before.
2: Yeah, well, let's just get right to it. I mean, you mentioned Russ. uh, He's talking about the legendary. uh, And if he's not legendary before this interview, he might be after uh, Russ Roush. I guess I define him, well, I define him first as a friend, uh, but then secondary, uh, he's a, well, actually, probably first he's a father. Secondary, he's a friend. Um, And then third, he's a, I guess, a mental performance training coach. Uh, He wears a lot of different hats, uh, and he does it, very well, I will say. Uh, we, we had a really interesting conversation talking a lot about the brain, talking a lot about optimizing performance, optimizing the the mind, the human body, uh, and everything in between and how it relates to obviously athletics and performing at a high level. But really, it was about a whole lot more than that, uh, just being happy and, and you know trying to maximize every single day an opportunity and opportunity and bring joy uh, to the, the rat race that is life newsflash i am not a professional
1: athlete but this conversation absolutely applies to those who are not so i encourage everybody to dial up this episode strap up for a hell
2: of a ride uh, because we go all over the place really we're just talking about life yeah uh which is honestly our favorite thing to do is just talk about life i also want to apologize that we're releasing this a day late uh, the NBA schedule got the best of us in, in some respects. So uh took a little while to get this one out, but we hope you enjoy it. And also... Um Russ' is com- Russ's company is Vision Pursue. It um, can be found at visionpursue.com. Or if you're interested in booking Russ in any capacity, uh, whether that's for a, a athletic group, a team, uh, or you know he does a lot of business and uh, sort of like corporate events uh, as well, please, please do so. I promise you, you will not be uh, disappointed. It's russ, R-U-S-S, at visionpursue.com dot com uh is where you can find him or you can reach out to us in the long shot and we would be happy to to make that connection as well but uh without further ado here's russ welcome back into to the long shot podcast we have an incredibly special guest uh with us here today a good friend of mine a mentor of mine uh somebody who i've relied on uh Recently in my career, uh, but really has, has been a part of, of my career since I've been a professional. Uh, his name is Russ Roush. Russ, thanks for joining us, man.
0: Hey, man. Great to be with you, Duncan, as
2: always. No, no, for sure. So Russ is uh, the creator and founder of Vision Pursue, uh, which is a mental performance training program uh, that exists in app form. Uh, also goes around and speaks with with athletes, uh, you know, high-level entertainers. Uh, businesses, all sorts of different things. Um, but you know, this is something that Davis and I have talked about for a while having you on, uh, just because, you know, less about what it is that you do, but more about the person that you are and the conversations that we've had. And so many times after talking to you, I've thought, man, like, this would just be so beneficial for people to, to hear and be a part of. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to have you on here.
0: Well, man, uh, that's great to hear to have you say that about me makes me feel wonderful. And uh, I'm glad you've had that. It's been that impact on you. Appreciate it, man.
2: No, for sure. Uh, if you don't mind, we'll just start off. Talk a little bit about uh, Vision Pursue, kind of how you got into the, the space. I know you have like kind of a business background, um, but but more so what dragged you into you know doing mental performance training and, and how it's kind of grown for you over the years.
0: Yeah, I kind of grew out of my own misery, I guess you'd say. So I'm a small town kid from Kansas. I was the first one to go to college in my family. Uh, just fast forward all the way to my corporate career. I'm here in Chicago in my early 40s. I'm fairly successful, especially com- you know, compared to where I thought I would be. I wasn't even planning on going to college. Here I am in Chicago. I have a nice office. I've traveled around the world. I've, you know, it's not like I'm rolling in money or anything, but I'm living a, a good life. Yeah. And yet I feel miserable. I remember sitting in my office and thinking, what's the point of doing all this shit if I don't feel any better than this? And I started thinking, "Okay, well, another 5, 10 years is going to pass. My career is going to advance. But what's going to change in terms of the way I'm experiencing my life? And I didn't know what to do about it, but that was the kernel of something's wrong and I need to fix it. And then over a period of years, just at some point, I got into neuroscience and what I mean by that is I read a book and then I started watching YouTube videos and I got really into how the brain's working. And what I started to understand the way I was experiencing life, had a lot more to do with what was going on in here it used to be my automatic thoughts and my emotions, these chemicals that go through your body. That's what your life experiences way more than what goes on outward. And so once I started getting into that, uh, I started learning things about what was happening to me, like beating myself up and replaying things over and over again, the stuff that most of us deal with. I started realizing what was happening, why it was happening, that there was a purpose why that was going on, why my brain was doing that. And I learned how to start to be able to control that and to train my brain so my brain would operate a little differently. And so that's how I started down the path and it became such a passion. And then I started to change myself and I just figured, you know, I could teach other people how to do this. And as far as I can see, almost everybody needs it as I started to talk to people about this. And so that's how it started, a passion, a hobby, a passion. And then I started a business and then it just kind of grew from there.
2: For sure. I I have a very distinct memory of the first time I met you. Uh, It was my rookie year, Uh, Miami Heat training camp. We were at in Boca, up in Boca. And, uh, you know, Spo would bring in different speakers, and you were one of the people that he was bringing in. And it was really interesting because just prior to you coming in and speaking to us, we had somebody kind of in your same sort of space, I guess you could say, I'm not gonna say who it was or whatever, But they were talking about maximizing performance. And one of the things that they were talking about was, you know, when you're you're shooting free throws or you're shooting threes or you're going through practice, visualize, you know, this perfect situation, Visual, visualize, you know, exactly the way you want to feel, visualize how the ball feels in your hands, all this sort of stuff. And, you know, a couple hours later, you come in, and you have this entirely different perspective on the exact same thing, which is optimizing performance. And yours was very much the opposite. Instead of visualize what what perfect feels like, it was this shift of embrace the worst possible outcomes and, and understand in in many ways, expect the worst possible outcomes because they're going to happen. Whether you're the best in the world, whether you're a fifth grader, whatever it is, train your mind to expect that. And I remember you used the traffic example of, uh, you know, the I don't remember exactly what it is, but basically that, or actually you tell it the the expectation of being stuck in traffic versus not, um, and how if you tell somebody you know it's going to be twenty minutes versus it's going to be, you know, fifteen, the person who ends up stuck in traffic and it takes twenty ends up being significantly more pissed off, and it's just that that one shift in expectation.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting when you think about a lot of what happens in sports performance, it is this and kind of in life, you know, visualize what you want, have this picture of it happening and you'll kind of draw it to you like the universe is going to give it to you, you know, that sort of thing. In fact, when I first started on this path, that's kind of the path you run into because so many people are talking like that. And when you start looking at the neuroscience, you realize that that's not going to work. (laughs) That's first. And then you start thinking about it logically. It doesn't even make any sense. And so it really comes down to, and to give that traffic example, because everybody can relate to that, I'm glad you brought it up. I love it. What I ask is, okay, it's a 30-minute driving experiment. You're going to drive for 30 minutes, and it's going to be bad traffic, bad drivers, a bad experience. And you take two groups of people. The first group, you tell them, this is going to be an hour and really bad. And then they do the 30-minute drive, and it's bad, and then you measure them for stress. The second group you say this is going to be 15 minutes and easy and then it's 30 minutes and hard and then you measure them for stress. And I always ask the question and the answer is a little bit uh, surprising, but I'll ask which group do you think experiences more stress? And I'll just ask you guys that. So what do you think it's A or B?
2: The the group that has the expectation that it's going to be a simple drive. You would agree? Yeah.
1: Yeah, for those of you watching on YouTube, Duncan and I are sharing a mic, so it's not that easy for us to respond at the same time, but yes, I would I would agree. I also, now that I have the mic, I want to take full advantage of it. I also want to point out, also from Kansas, study neuroscience and behavior, so in some weird parallel universe, we might be the same You're person. Kansas, dude? Kansas. Where are you from, man? I'm from Lenexa, Kansas. Right on. Johnson County.
0: JC, my, my JC. business partner who we have to talk about, John McGraw. Awesome dude. Played in the NFL for 10 years. Uh, he is lives in Kansas. He's from Kansas and he
1: lives in Johnson County. I love running across Kansas. There's nothing better. Well, he's the best dude ever. You gotta beat him. I'm fascinated. Now I, Now that I have the mic, I'm just gonna hijack it. <laughs> I'm fascinated by some of the things that you've said, because it's so relatable how you can be in this life where it seems like everything should be, you have no reason to not be happy. Yet there are times where it feels like it's impossible to to get there. But using this traffic example, are you? is there a world where you're saying you can essentially trick yourself into being happy regardless of situation?
0: Well, let me finish the story because it's surprising. So when I first devised that, it was all set up for everybody to answer B. I thought it was going to be easy and it was harder and therefore my expectations weren't met and I got upset. I started to get surprised that like 25% of the people were picking A. And I'm like... How the hell is anybody picking a and then you start talking to these people and you realize and then it actually makes sense because you think about this just the expectation of dealing with a difficult person. For example, you think about that difficult person you start stressing out and then when you see him it actually amplifies the situation. So for some people just the thought I'm going to have a really bad drive sets off their stress response and it colors the experience about 25% is my kind of rough estimate after doing that that question many, many times to many, many people. But either way, now to answer your question, your expectations are one of your best ways to preemptively control your stress response. And it's just an awareness that, hey, my expectations are gonna trigger something in my mind, either that I think it's so bad I make it worse than it is, catastrophizing, we've all done that, or the fact that I think and want everything to be easy and it's not. Then makes it harder or feel more difficult than it actually is. So expectations are huge in terms of managing stress, and hardly I don't really hear anybody talking about them. In fact, if anything, there it's kind of like expect everything to be great, believe everything's going to be
2: great. Right. Kind of yeah, and and I just remember as a as a young player, I was in this unique situation trying to break into the NBA, having no kind of validity to my name. I, you know, I wasn't drafted. Uh, And I was in this unique situation where Coach Spo was berating me in practice to be aggressive, to shoot, to have this, to almost kind of manufacture this ego that I was in no way ready to embrace. And I kept missing all these shots over and over in, in preseason, missing all these shots and get opportunities in games, missing all these shots. And... I remember talking it through with you, and you you did a very unique thing in terms of you didn't necessarily point to like you know what like go out there and, and visualize that, that that first one's going to go in. Instead, it was like, all right, in some way, you're you're now kind of impervious to pain because you're you've 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 already fucked up basically. Yeah, uh, is one which is like okay, check that box. But two, understand that like in so many ways, you're kind of playing the long game with this and, and build the resolve to like to wrestle with this sort of adversity and and don't be don't have this idea that you have to be level headed always through the chaos because i I would have these moments where my my competitiveness would boil over and and I always you know looked up to these athletes that were just calm, cool, collected at all times. And it was like it was interesting for me to hear that from you that that doesn't always have to be me, but instead, like, thank that that inner drive that you have for being what it is, because that's getting you to where you need to go. Which was I, I just felt like was a unique take on so much of what we hear when it comes to like performing at a high level.
0: Yeah, I love it, man. And, and you know, so much, so many of the times that I've been in, same of the meet, some of the meetings you've been in, where speakers come in and they say, "Be confident and have this confidence about you and all of that." And when you think about that. How the fuck do you do that? You know, you either feel confident or you don't feel confident. You cannot manufacture that. You can sit there and kind of hype yourself up and get in a stance or whatever people talk about body posture. And if you're feeling like shit and you're not confident, it ain't going to work. And I remember so vividly. In fact, I wish I I got rid of my phone. I have a text from you. If you remember, you said, I just came out. It was after the game. You said, after halftime, I missed every single warm-up shot. (laughs) That's never happened to be in my life before. But you knew like it didn't matter. It doesn't you, you put so much emotion and stock in am I making shots and how am I feeling and kind of my big thing is it doesn't matter how you feel. You can make shots or you can do whatever you're doing. You can make speeches. You can do whatever it is that you do no matter how you feel. And then you have this real confidence and you're not in your own mind of trying to feel a certain way. Instead you're realizing fuck I can do this no matter how I feel. And I think that's kind of a lot of what we talked about, and then also just saying, like I'm sure people will tell you, hey, a three's a three, no matter if you're, a, no matter where you're at, you right. can do it. So, no, a three's not a three. If it's preseason, you're trying to make an NBA team or your first NBA game or all that, it's gonna feel different, and it's supposed to feel different. But it doesn't matter how it feels. So, if, I don't know if that, if you remember all that, but that's kind of the how I think about it with you and really with a lot of players that I, I'm working with and business executives for that matter.
2: No, I, I do remember because for me, it was an interesting process because actually both of us are classic overthinkers, right? And, and as a result, I've gotten so routine-oriented and driven. And some of it's out of I, I just like to have a routine, but the other part of it is born out of I need everything to be exactly the way it is so that I can perform to a high level. And I've not, I haven't done away with that because I still very much have a routine and part of it is I just, I like having the rhythm of it. But I have done away with this idea that like, you know, I, I have to make a shot from here, here and here before I play a game. Like the, the kind of like superstitious stuff because you, you you pointed to exactly that. It's like, I've had games where I've gone out and missed every single shot warm warmups and then played great. And I've had games where I've gone out and, and made every single shot in warm-ups, and then the game starts and I can't make a shot. So it's like at, at a certain point, you're basically throwing out like, okay, a warm-up is what it is, but it, it really doesn't matter. And it certainly doesn't dictate performance the way that we we all in our minds think that it does. And the moment that we get start to get hung up on, okay... I shot it well in warm ups, or I didn't shoot it well in warm ups. Now you're, you know, maybe stressing over, am I not going to play well, this, that, or whatever. You're just adding all these different aspects to a game where instead of we we really should be working to simplify. And, And one thing that I've learned over time is that like shooting, like ball handling, these are skills that you can actually grow and develop, which is a lot of what your app is about a lot of what um, you know, you, you preach in, in when you go and speak to these, these different people.
0: Yeah. There's, there's so much in expectations. And one of the things I remember having this conversation with you was how many shots, if you shoot 10 threes in a game, how many do you have to make to feel good about it? And when I asked three point shooters, that question, the number ends up being now they think about it analytically and they might come up with four because everybody knows 40% is good But I go no, fuck that like what makes you feel good you're gonna feel good that you miss six especially if you got 10 pretty good looks and I think the answer always ends up being about six it's hard to scoff I remember you saying this it's hard to scoff if I if I make six and so that's another thing about the brain is where four is excellence in a, in a particular game, it may not feel that way at all, depending on the looks you get and all of that. So, you have to realize your brain always wants you to be up a notch from even excellence, maybe the greatest ever. And instead of thinking that's a bad thing, you realize that's a good thing. I have an inner dog that wants to make six. So you thank that inner dog, but you can also bring it back and go, hey, but I make... There's days I'm gonna make three, there's days I'm gonna make two, there's gonna, days I'm gonna make one, sometimes I'm gonna make six or seven. So. In the long run you realize that over time if i have the ability and some people don't right you can't be delusional i'm going to end up where i need to be as long as i don't get all twisted up on every game every situation and i just roll with however i'm feeling and know i can make shots no matter how and just one other thing i'll say because i've asked every group of athletes i've ever been around this question and you alluded to it have you ever rolled into a game feeling totally confident totally in the zone and then you sucked. Yes. Every hand goes up. Have yeah. you ever rolled in feeling like shit and you're completely out of sorts and you rocked it? Every hand goes up. And I could go vice versa too. Right. Yeah. And uh, so that speaks to what you're talking about. And so much of that is different than what a lot of people out there are saying.
2: Yeah, I think the the ten threes example, obviously, given my profession and, and the way that I play particularly hit home for me in a unique way because it also <clears throat> it helped me paint a picture of how fickle statistics are in the short term and on an individual game-to-game basis where it's like you know i go 3 of 10 and i'm i'm terrible and maybe two of those shots felt so pure and they were perfect reps that hit back rim in and out whatever okay now all of a sudden two of those go in i'm 5 of 10 and i am that's that's 50% from 3 on high volume even if one of the two goes in that's 40% from 3 on high high volume that is damn good and it's just like i find myself or i found myself getting caught up in whether or not that one little that one little rep i'm going to i'm going to base the entirety of what's going on in my mind based on whether or not that one rep goes in or out and it's just it it does exactly that. It throws you off course for future successes. And one thing that, and people ask me all the time now, and I basically just steal your stuff about, I'm going through a slump. What is it? How do I get out of this? And it's like, you basically have to build the resolve and the trust that game to game, throw it out. People have bad shooting games all the time. Steph Curry's gone 0 for 11, 1 for 13. It happens all the time. I've had plenty of bad shooting games. That's for damn sure. But what it is is, you have to build the resolve that over a big enough sample size, whether it's five games, ten games, fifteen games, if you're getting consistent reps, you're going to be right around that that forty percent mark, and and that's ultimately what I what I hold myself to. But at the same time, I'm not going to be satisfied at that forty percent, knowing knowing that what I know. Uh, that one that went in and out, I'm going to want that to go in. And, and I'm going to expect that one to go in. Or the one that was a t- considered a tough shot, the same way. I'm going to want and expect that to go in. So it's it's an, instead of getting hung up on individual reps, it's more about just building that resolve. And, and like I just said, I, I think that alone, dealing with adversity in that way, is a skill. It really is. And one that you've helped me kind of navigate, for sure.
0: Yeah, great. Well, thank you. And and I think when it comes to people who are just living life, you know, that aren't playing sports, that's the reason why I love working in sports. Even though most of my business is corporate, because you know, corporate people, you don't see them fucking up or trying to perform. It's not in front of a bunch of people. It's just there's something about sports where the competition is so insanely cutthroat. Everybody's watching. It's so difficult. You just can't really mimic that in life and in business. But the same things are going on, just with people who aren't in sports, who are just trying to perform at a high level, they'd like to do better than they're doing, they're going to mess up. And so there's this powerful thing about knowing it's not going to be perfect, and you're going to mess up, but also not being delusional, you know, because you can shoot 40%. Some people can't. And so there's something, there's some fine line there between delusion and, and realistic expectations. But yeah, I think you
1: described it well. How do you find that balance in your personal life? Like, do you find that it's easier to give the advice than actually check in with yourself and make sure that it's, you know, you're holding yourself to those standards?
0: No, I don't find it easier. I, the way I describe it is like this. I had a maniac brain for sure. And that's how I got into this to sort of help try to help myself. So, so hard on myself, beating myself up. And for me, uh, at the time I got into this, I was doing sales type stuff. So you'd have a sales meeting and presentations and you're dealing with kind of asshole customers. And so you can always look back at that. I didn't do that right. And beating yourself up woulda, shoulda, coulda type stuff. And what happens when you train your brain the right way, your brain starts to become reflexively handling all this better. And you have probably noticed that yourself where you don't have to coach yourself through all this stuff that we talked about. You just, the way I describe it in terms of self-criticism is now, it's just a bunch of information constantly coming to me. I look back at the stuff, like a a speech or a presentation I did a year ago, and it's kind of cringy to me today. And I know that a year from now, I might look back at this, and, and it might be cringy to me. And so I realize I'm in this constant state of improvement. And I'm constantly getting feedback about what I did well and they didn't do well, but it's not a personal indictment. It doesn't feel that it's not a huge chemical reaction. It just starts to become information. And so it's pretty easy for me to to keep on this plane of improving and realizing I'm not there yet. I'm, And you're never going to be there. I mean, look at SPO. I mean, spo has been doing this so many years at a high level. In any other great coach I know, and they're not going, oh, well, I've completely arrived now. I mean, we're grinding it out constantly. And when your brain really gets on board, you keep getting that feedback, but it's not its not fucking with you like that. You're not feeling like you totally suck, but
2: you realize you're constantly trying to get better. How do you... Because I, I definitely relate to this idea of seeking out constant self-improvement. What is a, a way to... Because because at the same time that that's a it's a fleeting feeling at the same time right because you're you're going after something that's infinite which is always keeps you on the hunt but at the same time there is a lack of maybe satisfaction or or an ability to like kind of take a breath and have some perspective and and pat yourself on the back so how do you or how do you advise to to walk that line in between always wanting more for yourself while also having a certain level of content and, and, and understanding like, oh, wow, look how far I've come or look at the improvements that I've made.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And this really kind of gets to the very foundation of, you know, where I like to get people. And it reminds me a little bit of your journey. Uh, I remember being here in Chicago, having that walk. It's the end of the year. You got a contract coming up, big contract for you. Uh, you're struggling a little bit and you're feeling that and, If you remember what we talked about, I remember just saying to you, listen, man, you can't fuck this up. And I didn't mean it like, be careful and don't fuck it up. Like it's impossible for you to fuck this up at this point. And what I'm trying to say by that is, we all think that getting to wherever that is, is the be all end all. And that's why there's so much stress and anxiety about it. In fact, a lot of people think if they don't have that stress and anxiety, they're not gonna be able to do the shit they have to do to get there because it's so hard. And what I believe is that's not true. I believe when you get your mind right, you can walk that path towards trying to get wherever you want to go and be happy at the same time. Because what you're ultimately doing is surrendering that outcome. And what I mean by that is when you get to the realization where we started this whole conversation at, I don't need that thing to be happy. I can be happy without that thing. And so if that's the case, then my happiness is right now. And I'm not saying everything's easy and you're happy all the time. There's struggle and everything else. But what I'm saying is, if this improvement that we're we're striving for isn't the answer to my happiness and fulfillment, I already have that, then that takes the pressure off that. Now I'm doing it not because I have to, because I want to. And So that's where I'm at in my life. I mean, I'm trying to grow my business. I'm trying to improve. I'm trying to be a better father. I'm trying to be a better everything. And there's kind of two things are true at the same time, which is I don't need to do anything to, to get any better or anything else, to be happy and fulfilled. I can do that without doing anything. And on the other hand, I just want to. Yeah. Both of those things are true. And that's hard for people to understand. But that to me is a neuroscience thing. We you get your brain balanced. That becomes the way you
2: experience the world. Yeah, it's almost it's counterproductive to the society that we live in that is constantly measuring people based on their accolades and in this promotion or this opportunity, whatever. Um, what are some like and you don't I mean you can, I, I would love for you to get into the nitty gritty of it, but like what are some examples of stuff that everyday people, athlete whatever it is that that you would tell somebody that is struggling, whether they feel like they're caught up in the rat race of it and lack a certain sort of purpose or or happiness in their day to day? You know, one
0: of the things I do uh, and I was kind of slow to do this at first because I wasn't sure how it was going to go over. But I have this video. It starts out with uh, uh, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA. I think you've seen this video. Yeah. He's getting interviewed, and he's basically saying all the NBA players I talk to are very unhappy. And it goes on Lady Gaga saying she's very unhappy. J. Cole saying, I, you know, I did all this stuff, and I'm unhappy. Russell Brand, it goes on and on and on. And so I play this video and it kind of blows people away. And the other kind of cool scene, it has Aaron Rodgers winning his first Super Bowl. And that night, after he won the Super Bowl, it's funny watching the Rams win the Super Bowl and everybody say, this is the greatest thing in my life and everything like that. Uh, he said that night, what kept going through his mind was, I hope this isn't all there is. And it kind of blows people's mind because when they look at people like you and They think, well, okay, they got to be the happiest people in the world. They're literally living their dream. They're helping other people, which I'm sure you're doing with some of the resources you have. You have great relationships. And some of the relationships you have are amazing. You're always in pursuit of more goals. I mean, we're going down the checklist of everything we're told will make you happy. And so that really helps people to realize it isn't out there. It's in here. So that's the starting point. And then number two, then you teach them, okay, why are you unhappy? It's because of your thought patterns and your thought patterns are usually what went wrong and what could go wrong and how I'm not good enough. And it's all really self-absorbed. Think about how narcissistic our thinking is. If we don't get the lunch, our lunch the way we ordered it, we're pissed off even though maybe you know hundreds of people, thousands of people are dying in Europe right now. And it's, nothing's ever good enough. Now that sounds bad, And that's why people say the ego is bad, but that's good. That's the left hemisphere of your brain. You have to have that because if you're not learning from the past or planning for the future, if you don't care about yourself or your team or your family and you're concerned about everybody else in the world, how are you going to get anything done? If everything, think everything's great all the time, how are you ever going to improve? And so you have to make friends with that part of your brain. And then you also have to connect to another part of your brain that has a very different perspective, the right hemisphere where it's not about the past and the future. It's about right here, right now. That's how it operates. It's not about me. It's about we or something bigger than any of us. And everything's great as it is. And so that's a beautiful place to be, and that's what the right hemisphere experience is. And so it's a matter of balancing those two because one's not better than the other. You don't prefer one over the other. They're both there, and you need them both.
2: Hey, Dave, I'm back to talk some more about Athletic Greens. And let me tell you, I'm going to say it again, Athletic Greens is the real deal. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to take a multivitamin. I was taking a multivitamin, the fish oils, all that sort of stuff, vitamin D. But it was just hard to develop a routine of taking them every single morning. And I also don't drink coffee in the morning. It's not really something that I do. So I felt like Athletic Greens was the perfect alternative because it was going to give me energy in the morning, which it does. And it checks the boxes for all my multivitamins and all my greens for the day. I still eat some greens on top of it, but everything on top of it is just supplemental at this point. It's unbelievable for your gut health, your energy. Uh, There's no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. And it actually tastes really good. I've gotten to really, really like the taste. Uh, It helps your sleep quality, your recovery time, uh, mental clarity, mental health, everything. It's just a a prime example of eat good, feel good. Uh, And I'm just a huge fan of, of Athletic Greens.
1: I was already a massive fan, but I've started to put it in an Athletic Greens water bottle that I now have, and so I'm shaking up the water and the scoop of AG1 in that water bottle, and it's definitely elevated the experience. It was already enjoyable, but now I'm just all the way in, and it's, it's just great stuff.
2: So, right now it's time to reclaim your health, and we are here to help you do so. You have an opportunity to arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it, it's simple. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com longshot. Again, that is athleticgreens.com longshot to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I remember uh, you and I, one thing that was totally unique, we hopped on a Zoom and we just... We analyze photographs and pictures, um, and, and it were these elaborate pictures of landscapes. And to be honest with you, I, I you don't even know exactly what you're doing or, or what you're looking at. And the direction is basically just to to observe and to be very diligent about what it is you're looking at, and uh, you know take into account every aspect of of the photo and. It's exactly that, and, and actually, David, you kind of like said it in a way. It felt like I was basically just tricking myself to activate a part of my brain that was being neglected, and at, in this moment of being caught up in all these, you know, the the rat races of of and, and mind you, I I, I live a, an incredible life, and I don't I don't say for a second that I don't, but it, it's it is relative, and the same way, you know, the NBA season is a grind in its own unique way uh and the challenges that come with it and i feel like i have this propensity to get caught everybody does on this kind of default setting of just kind of navigating the the world throughout it and uh just a moment to like kind of take a pause and look at those photos caused my my mind and my brain to to think in a way that was just different and, and challenged me in, in just a little bit of a different way and, and almost created a, a refreshed perspective that I felt truly.
0: Yeah, you know, the neuroscientist who led the way on all this is Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor. She has a very famous TED talk. And what was cool about her experience, she's here, she's a neuroscientist at Harvard. She loses her left hemisphere, she has a blood clot, it shuts down, it takes seven years to recover. And she only has the right hemisphere. So this unique situation of a neuroanatomist be able to experience that. And then she heals, the left heals. So what she talks about is what I just described, the left versus the right and the way they perceive the world, the difference, and she lived it for seven years. And so when I have you and others look at pictures, I love doing this exercise because if I went through it with you or anyone else or even myself, you're all twisted up about something, whatever it is that's keeping you up at night. And then I'll have people, okay, write down what you think about this, what you think you need to do about it, how heavy does it feel. Then they do it. Then we look at these pictures, and what the pictures is doing, it's activating your right hemisphere because the right hemisphere thinks in pictures. So I'll have them look at pictures. I'll ask them questions. Things will surface, and then I'll go, okay, how do you feel about it now? And write down what you should do about it now. And they'll get a totally different answer. And that's kind of mind-blowing for people because I'm not telling you something like, oh, well... It'll pass and you'll be okay. And in the law, I'm not telling you any of that shit. You just experienced it in your own mind. And this is really crucial when it comes to this whole thing of enjoying your life. You have to be able to access that right hemisphere. But you also want that. It's tricky because you don't want to, you want that left hemisphere. That's your best friend. That's why you're doing what you're doing in sports. That left hemisphere, that dog. You want to keep that dog, but
1: you also just want to balance it out. Hearing you talk about this stuff, is it's taken me back to my undergrad experience studying neuroscience. And some of it, honestly, I don't know how to phrase this without sounding just cynical, but some of it is scary. It's almost like it waters down the experience to just really it's just our brains experiencing this balance of chemicals. And it's just finding a way to make sure that we're doing it in a way that's going to make us happy. Does that make sense? Like, I remember thinking that in my study sometimes of like, really, we're really just perceiving these this world and these stimuli. And it's, again, I, I said this earlier, but it's almost like it's just finding a way to trick your brain. Maybe trick is the wrong word, but do it in a way that is going to make you happy.
0: Yes, <laughs> I, I would say it. You know, it is kind of weird when you kind of think, it really comes down to what's reality. Because your left brain has a totally different perception of reality than your right hemisphere. And when you think about the human brain or humans in general, we're only capable of knowing, we only know what we know. We can only perceive what we can perceive. Think about a dog, for example. Like, try to teach a dog algebra. (laughs) You can't do it. They're incapable of perceiving it. So the problem is we don't know what we're incapable of perceiving. Everybody thinks they can perceive everything, but we're all limited. And so it it is kind of crazy when you get into it and realize that I'm sort of a puppet on a string based on the automatic processes of my brain. I'm not choosing. I'm choosing a tiny portion of my thoughts. I'm choosing none of my emotions. Those are all happening automatically. And sort of to answer your question, to me, it's not like, manipulating or gaming your brain or whatever, to me, it's always about learning how your brain was designed to work, understanding why it's doing what it's doing, and then being kind of the captain of my own destiny in terms of my brain is that's why I have a prefrontal cortex executive functioning. So we can realize, Oh, there is a limbic brain that's projecting a neurotransmitter to make me feel anxious. There is a left hemisphere. That's making me think about, Oh, what the hell is going to happen with this pandemic and, or whatever else is going on in the world. And I can, I can perceive all that, see it for what it is. And then also connect to a right brain that might say, Oh, it's all going to be fine. <laughs> and so when you understand all of this was put together for a reason by whoever Or whatever, put it together, and you understand how to work it. Then you start to be happy and fulfilled, but also not like the village idiot. You can still be productive and move through and deal with all the shit that we have to
1: deal with. That's a more positive way to to frame it. Thank you for for (laughs) forming it. Because you're right. Really, it's just it's it's the the thinking that, which I believe is true, and it, it it goes to everything you're saying, is that we can sort of consciously make the decision to perceive these things in a positive way. And it it we were talking a little bit about this off camera before we, we started, but it takes me to what you were saying uh, before we sat down, which is this question of whether we are happy by default and things stray us away from that or if it's the opposite and we're looking for ways to find happiness. And maybe I'm framing that the wrong way.
0: I think you framed it exactly the right way. And kind of the way my mind works and how I ended up sitting here today and going through everything I worked with worked you know' I've been doing the last few years with Donkin and everybody else, has been my lens of, okay, we're here. Are we supposed to be happy and fulfilled? Or are we supposed to be unhappy and unfulfilled? And even the concept of okay, why do I want to eat ice cream more than I want to eat broccoli if broccoli is better? like what? It seems like everything's fucked up, like we're we're all unhappy and unfulfilled and unhealthy fighting all these urges, always running upstream, right? Always running uphill against the wind, no matter how successful we are. Why is that? And I've always believed that can't be the way it's supposed to be. That cannot be the way, that's not why we're here. And so this has kind of led me down the path of, okay, why is this happening? And the conclusion I've come to is we don't understand what our brain's doing and why. And we don't know how to operate our bodies the right way. And we could talk about some of that, too. And when you do all of that, then your natural state then becomes happy and fulfilled the way we are designed to be. Not that it's perfect. Not that you're the village idiot. I mean, you're going through problems and stresses and everything else. But gravity becomes happiness and fulfillment and health and then you stray from it and you lose your way or you go through something tough and then you come back versus I'm spending my whole life working my ass off to try to be happy, fulfilled, and healthy. And you look at success literature, it's all built on the premise that we're going to be unhappy, so I have to succeed. I have to find something I love. I have to find great relationships. I have to help people. This whole laundry list of shit that you have to do (laughs) be happy and then when you're happy then you even get there and then you have to keep doing again then the thing becomes well because you got always got to be pursuing new things so the whole everything is kind of built on the premise of everything's messed up and we have to constantly fight to be better and I think that's not true I think it's the opposite but you have to start looking at the world differently and thinking differently and really understand in my opinion what's going on
1: I have I just stole the mic from Duncan again (laughs) I have so many friends and I felt this way too. Coming out of college, you get your first job, it's all exciting, and then a couple years in, you go down this laundry list of, well, I've got a, you know, friends and family that I love. I'm in this apartment or home that I love. I've got a dog that I love. I've got a boyfriend or girlfriend that I love, but my job sucks. My job sucks and it's ruining my life. I'm not happy. And so they switch jobs and now they're at this job that they love and it's new and it's exciting, but you're still not happy. And there's this moment of realization. And I felt this just speaking personally, I was at a job where I was fine, but I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. And now I'm doing this podcast with one of my best friends. And it's like, okay, now I'm living the dream. Now there's no reason for me to not be happy. Yet you still have days where you wake up and you're not happy. And you start to question like, wait, what is what is wrong with me and it's that moment of realization and you've talked about this already you spoke to this earlier but oh wait it's all right here it's all internal you can't reach for happiness you can't find you can't find enough external stimuli to make you happy it's all going on in between your ears
0: yes and this constant search for it I mean, watch behind the music or any of these shows where they take successful people and they follow their career. We already know what's going to (laughs) happen. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to put this tunnel vision on making their dreams come true. It's all about making their dreams come true. And then they're going to sort of almost destroy themselves and they're going to figure out it wasn't about that. And then, and then they figured, oh, it's actually about relationships, you know, and I found the perfect woman when that doesn't work out. And so we're in this constant state of trying to find it out here. Versus finding it in here And then I like to talk about bringing it Externally I'm happy and fulfilled inside Now I can bring it to my job Because let's talk about achievement Because it isn't about Because I do believe it's true It's not what you do It's in here and then you'll be happy No matter what you do But then you can achieve by bringing that happiness That fulfillment, that energy That passion into what you do And you can't help but succeed to the talent level that you have. I mean, no matter how hard I might try or whatever, I'm never gonna I was never gonna play in the NBA no matter what, or any professional sport for that matter. Don't count yourself out. <laughs> so I hope that makes some sense. So I'm not saying, hey, it doesn't matter what you do at all, but in some sense, and, and maybe in the most important sense, it doesn't. But that doesn't mean that you can't go out and be really great at something that you love to do just see it for what it is it's what you're doing it's not the be all end all.
2: Dave I'm pretty excited that this podcast is now sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or maybe preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not a self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not
1: be locally available in many areas. You can log into your account anytime, send a message to your therapist anytime, get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions dunk. So you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. Nobody wants to do that. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available.
2: Affordable and convenient. How much better could it get? BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Like this one, quote, I feel less stressed, anxious, and depressed. It's really a great option for anyone looking for affordable help. End quote. Visit BetterHelp.com L-S. That's Better H-E-L-P. And join over the 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states Special offer for longshot fans. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com/ls. Better your life today. reference a little bit, um, just briefly about optimizing your body. And it's something that you and I have texted back and forth about recently. Um, Kind of like a a new development, I guess that that you've kind of caught on to, which is uh, maximizing your body, which I think then in terms helps you maximize what's going on in in your brain, Um, and kind of tapping into circadian rhythm and and all those sorts of things. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I think it's, it's super interesting. Uh, and I think it could be, be helpful to people too as well.
0: Yeah, well, great, man. Yeah, I'm super passionate about that right now. So, you know, in my quest of trying to help myself and other people to sort of have this baseline of happiness, fulfillment, and health, there was one piece of that puzzle that was always missing with old vision pursue, you know, what we typically train people on. And the pandemic really brought that to light. So when the pandemic hit in, I guess it was 2020, um, I held up really well emotionally through all of that, uh, through kind of the isolation and the revenue hit and what's going to happen to my job and you know all, all the shit that we all went through, emotionally, yeah, I felt I felt that, but I didn't feel it like a lot of people did. And so VP really held up through all of that. Where I started seeing some cracks for me was now all of a sudden. I'm eating more than I used to. I'm drinking more than I used to. In fact, I'm like, I have to drink a beer or two or a glass of wine or two every single day. And I guess some people do that all the time, but I've never done that my whole life. Now I'm gaining weight. Now I'm not working as hard. I'm coming slothful. I'm watching Netflix all the time. <laughs> I know a lot of people can relate to that. I know Duncan can't, but <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, can, I can relate to Netflix. <laughs> That's for damn sure.
0: <laughs> so this is happening to me. And so And I think this really speaks to what's going on in the world. So what do I want to do? Well, it's very simple. I want to start eating better. I want to get more energy. I want to lose a little weight. So if that's what I want to do, what's the recipe? What would you guys say? What would people tell me if I said, hey, you know what? I want to lose a little weight. I want a little more energy. I want to feel better. Diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. Right? And so... That's what I try to do, right? So I thought, I, you know, for about six, seven months, I'm going to start working out again. I'm going to start eating right. I'm going to quit drinking that beer. And so I try to go up that mountain, which isn't a very big mountain, by the way. It's a pretty small mountain. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard mountain, though. It's a challenging mountain. It's a challenging mountain. And I fail, and I'm sitting there going, what the fuck? You know, I'm not trying to win the Boston Marathon. I'm not trying to kick my heroin addiction. I just <laughs> want to move a little more, eat a little better. And it really got me going down like something's not right here. And so whenever, whenever I discover something's wrong, I really start looking into the science. So it took me a while, but what I found was, and you mentioned it, was circadian rhythm. And here's what I found. Dr. Sachin Panda, who's at the Salk Institute in San Diego, he's a neuroscientist, has done this work on circadian rhythm, and it's really incredible. But the bottom line is, think about it like this. Most people have heard of circadian rhythm and they think of it as the day-night cycle. Your brain and body want to do certain things during the day and night. And the simple thing is I want to be awake and do shit during the day and I want to sleep and recover at night. Well, it's way deeper than that. So what happens is you have a cluster of neurons in your hypothalamus. It's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Whatever the, Love that. For whatever that's Good worth. Stuff. But Here's what's important about it. It sets the clock in your every cell in your body. And I think of it like this. The cells in your body are little workers that want to make your body, they want to optimize your body. They want to detoxify you. They want to fight off disease, you know, for immunity and that sort of thing. They want to digest your food and optimize your energy and your nutrition. They want to to do all these amazing things. But they can't do them unless you allow this circadian rhythm to work. There there are no alternatives to it. In other words, you you can't diet and exercise your way out of this. So there are three things that... There are many things you can do for circadian rhythm, but I think there are three that really make the difference, and we're teaching people about them. One is getting morning light. Because what happens is the way this these cluster of neurons get activated is through light. Light comes in through the eyes. It releases a neurochemical or actually a a hormone or some sort of chemical that starts the clock. And then proteins are released through every cell of the body, which synchronizes all those clocks. This is only going to happen if you get the right amount of light. And the best way to get that is sunlight. So getting light in the morning is one of the most important things you can do for your health. How many people know that? Yeah.
2: I love that. That's oh. how, I actually, uh, your your boy Huberman, uh, I was recently listening to a podcast and he was talking about the importance of uh, early morning, just 15 minutes of sunlight. And uh, he actually, I, I probably could, should have put together that he was relating to circadian rhythm, but just the importance of, of what that can do to the balance of your body. And actually, I think he made the point of uh, being jet lagged is an example of your circadian rhythm being completely out of the sorts and that feeling of being groggy, lethargic, um, is exactly that. It, it's that your your basic internal clock has no idea what's going on. And, and and seeing that light in the morning is what kind of stabilizes, it sounds like. Starts the whole system up. Yeah. You know, the, the system, the, these workers can't do
0: their job if you don't, they're like shift workers. They want to start and stop on shifts and they need enough time to do their work. Love that And morning light is like number one. That's the first thing.
2: And think about how simple that is to do super. Yeah. And that doesn't matter. I mean, obviously, it's it's easier for me being in sunny South Florida. Is that just any sort of like, what if you're you're in Chicago? What if you're in the Northeast? Is, is it still morning light? Is that, is that still going to be enough? Yeah, the photons right. are out there. There's plenty of photons
0: out there even on a cloudy day that right, are going to start that up. So That's
2: good to know. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right, But you do
0: need to be outside without sunglasses. Got it. But you can be in the shade. Gotcha. So that's one. Two, and a lot of people have heard about this, intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating. Now, when I heard about that, in fact, it was funny because I was traveling with the Heat maybe four years ago, maybe five years ago, and I was with a few of the coaches, and we were all kind of talking shit about intermittent fasting, like it was some kind of stupid fad. Uh, Well, it turns out it's not a fad. (laughs) Maybe it is a fad, but there's really hard science behind it. But the bottom line is at least 12 hours of contiguous not eating or fasting which means 12 hours when you can eat and 12 hours when you can't, allows these cells in their body to really do all this work, to detoxify, to repair, and do all that. If you don't don't give them time to do it, they simply won't do it. So that's the second window is keep all your eating in a 12-hour period. You can go down to even six, but I don't do that. I do 10. I eat within 10, and then that gives me 14 where I'm fasting.
2: Got you. So a 10 to 14 relationship. That's good to know or it could be 12, 12 to 12. Could be 12 to 12.
0: All right. I'd consider that a minimum. So only. late
2: so that basically discounts all late night eating is probably, which I feel like is is kind of documented as being pretty bad for you regardless of what it is that you're eating, which makes sense. Late nights
0: okay as long as you're you're yeah, yeah, yeah. taking your time in the morning. All right, so that's two. What's the third? Third then is an 8 hour sleep window. Doesn't mean you're sleeping for 8 hours, it just means you go to bed and get up at 8 hours and you're in the right environment. What I mean by that is it's dark and cold. Yeah. Got so it. those are the three windows. And if you do those three windows, not perfectly, but if you start to pay attention to that and do that, all of a sudden these things, these cracks in my armor that I was noticing, all of a sudden your energy goes up. Your your urges to eat and drink start to radically change. Your urge is actually then to go out and move, not to sit around. And so it starts to change everything because your body's getting what it needs. And that was kind of the missing piece to the puzzle. You can understand your left brain, your right brain, your limbic brain, kind of VP 1.0 stuff that we've always talked about. But you're still missing a real important piece if you're not paying attention to your circadian
1: rhythm. Where does exercise fall into this? Because just speaking for myself, I definitely feel better about myself. And maybe this says more about me than the human body when I have gotten a sweat in or when I've gotten a workout in, it just seems as if my day is undoubtedly more positive afterwards.
0: So exercise clearly good for you. I just say it's not a substitute for circadian rhythm and it's not a substitute for understanding your left and right brain and your limbic brain. So I think if you get that stuff right, you don't need to exercise to have good mood, good health, kind of happy, fulfilled, and healthy. However, the, the good news is when you get your circadian rhythm right, exercise becomes something you have an urge to do versus something you're making yourself do. So it becomes very easy then to get out and move, whether you want to be hardcore in, in amazing shape or you just want to get outside and move around for an hour a day. It just will start happening naturally.
2: I love that. That's good stuff. Um, well, Russ, thank you so much for joining us, man. I, as always, I, I always learn a whole lot uh, whenever we get together. So thank you for coming on. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of people take a lot from, from everything you've shared. So I appreciate it. Man, it's good being with both of you. And thanks for having me.